Hey listeners, I'm Robbie, and this is The Breakdown. This week, I'm bringing you my conversation with director Matt Lenz. Matt was the associate director for the original Broadway productions of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Hairspray, Catch Me If You Can, The Velocity of Autumn, and the original resident director of Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Off-Broadway, directing credits include Pageant the Musical, which received a Drama Desk nomination, The Irish Curse, Idaho the Comedy Musical, The Great Daisy Theory, Fingers and Toes, and Alan Ball's Ten Sky. National touring credits include Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, The Sound of Music, A Christmas Story, The Musical, Cheers, Live on Stage, Catch Me If You Can, The Who's Tommy, and Hairspray. International credits include Charlie in Australia and productions of Hairspray in South Africa, the UK, Toronto, and Germany. Regionally, Matt has worked at literally every regional theater, including the Paper Mill Playhouse, the George Street Playhouse, the Muni, a Gunquit Playhouse, K Playhouse, the Lions Theater, La Miranda Theater, North Carolina Theater, Maltz Jupiter Theater, the Zach Theater, Gulf Shore Playhouse, Casa Manana, Gateway Playhouse, Short North Stage, and Forestburg Playhouse. Now, listeners, not only is Matt obviously, like, massively accomplished and has worked everywhere and with everyone, but he's also a really good friend of mine and one of the kindest humans I know. And when I think of the kind of people that I want to have on the show and the conversations that I want to share with you all, he's probably the perfect person to talk to because not only has he worked on some of the biggest Broadway productions of all time, like Carespray with Jack O'Brien and Jerry Mitchell, but he's also worked in almost every regional theater with hundreds and thousands of actors and designers and producers. So if you've been in this business for longer than a few years, I guarantee you that you've auditioned for Matt or that you've seen a show directed by him or you have friends that have worked with him, which is why I'm super excited to share this conversation with you this week. So if you listen to the podcast frequently, you know that I love to include people's paths to how they got to where they are now and not because any of us can mimic the success or career of anyone else, but because I think that some of the things these people will talk about will be things that you have done or things that you want to do and want an opinion on whether to do them or not. So specifically, like Matt talks about mentorship and not everyone has to have a mentor, but I also agree with Matt that it's an incredible resource to have someone in the business that is doing what you want to do and can guide you with different ways and tips and tricks of how to get there. We also talk about the politics of the audition room. Like all the time we hear that the best person doesn't always get the job, but like for so long that like never made sense to me. It was always like an excuse people said of like why you actually didn't get the job. But Matt's explanations of what is actually happening in the room after you leave the audition is super helpful. Like it's actually things that actors cannot control. So talking about this stuff, I think will actually make us all feel better when we leave the audition room knowing that there's nothing else we can do and that all you can do is your best in the room or these days making a self-tape once you send that tape off like there's let it go there's nothing you can do go i don't know like do something fun now listeners thank you so much for following me on this journey if you've been listening and 
shouting out on social media or rating and reviewing the podcast. It literally means the world to me. Thank you so much. You're the reason why more people find this podcast. And if you're new, if this is the first one or one of the first episodes you're listening to, there's a bunch of other super helpful podcasts, uh, episodes. (laughs) There are other podcasts, but you should listen to mine. There's a bunch of other episodes uh, that you can listen to, and I think they're an incredible resource. And please, I know you hear this from every other podcast you listen to, but make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. If you just go right in and click subscribe, or if it's Spotify, click follow. And then if you're on Apple iTunes, just like throw me five stars if you're willing, or write a review, uh, or do both. It really helps other people find the podcast. So if you have a second right now, literally click pause. I will be here when you return turn rate review subscribe follow the instagram and facebook the breakdown with robbie on social media and shout out to your friends and family i super your friends and your family tell your aunt and your sister (laughs) but now without further ado my conversation with the brilliant director matt lenz Well, I am uh, chatting with Matt Lenz, director Matt Lenz, who is so fantastic as a human as well as uh, as well as a director. And I'm so happy that you're joining me on the podcast. You're a perfect person to talk to when I think about what I want this podcast to be. So thank you for being here. Oh, thank you, Robbie. Thank you for having me. How cool. Congratulations on this. Thank you. Thank you. It's yeah. been a, my little my little project. <laughs> I was like, oh, it'll be a little project. It's turned into a big project. Yes. The more people that want to do it and the more, you know, the more you do it, the more you're going to need to do it because it's, it's really terrific. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then the more you're like, well, it needs to be, you know, I'm like a little bit of, of a perfectionist. So, right. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, it's been, it's been really exciting and, um, and happy to use this as a time to connect with people during the, during the quarantine, you know, to have some really great conversations. Uh, people listening know that we've had some, you know, great conversations um, and kind of sparked some interesting learning and enlightening yeah. and kind of making connections during this time. So it's, I mean, this is, I've been, I've, I'm sure daily since this, I've been using the term silver linings, which, you know, I hadn't really, I don't, you know, and it wasn't in my vernacular that much before. Uh, but you know, one of them too, is like hearing from, you know, friends from high school and then saying, let's pick up the phone and really catch up or let's get on FaceTime or zoom or whatever. And, uh, so, and spend time. And as you said, have a meaningful conversation as opposed to a, you know, two or three texts back and forth or something. So, um, it's been chock full of silver linings and that's been one of them. Yeah. The reconnection with people, you know, for sure, for sure. I usually like to start talking about, for a while I was avoiding talking about the pandemic because it's going to change and we're going to get beyond it. But I think it's really interesting to know what people are doing or what some artists' lives are like during the pandemic. You know, not that anyone needs to be doing a thing other than taking care of ourselves and our family. But it's interesting what um, what some people have been up to. So, um, and the other thing that's fun to hear about is, you know, what was life like? Like, what were you up to when when this all started in the middle of March? So, I guess to clarify, maybe like what you were up to in the middle of yeah. March, and then like what's been going on the past few months for you. 
Yeah. Well, the middle of March, actually, the last time I saw you was mm-hmm. on my birthday, March 11th. I was working on casting a new Hairspray tour and working on God of Carnage for the Cape. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm working on a new uh, musical called Shucked, um, a new country western musical written by Robert Horn, directed by Jack O'Brien. I'm a, uh, Jack's associate on it. So we've been doing lots of developmental stuff, and we had just finished casting for um, a workshop that was going to be um, also a production in Washington, D.C. at the National Theater um, in September, which is, of course, all now not happening. But we have been doing Zoom development, which is which is interesting on Shucked and, and meeting often and getting some design work done and more, um, you know, rewrites and things like that. But, you know, I was just in my daily kind of, you know, juggling or spinning plates, as I say, you know, keeping all the future projects going. Um, our Charlie and the Chocolate Factory tour had just opened in January and um, there were still some a couple of little technical elements that we were working out. So, you know, I had just been out to visit um, the cast of that and, um, you know, in full swing. But over the course of, you know, the time here, we, um, my partner, Nicholas, and I um, came up to uh, our little place up in the Catskills on March 12th and, you know, have been hunkered down here basically since. Um, And I've been grappling a lot with this idea of like, what should I do? You know, how do I use this time? And my, those first couple of weeks, I remember thinking, I got to be doing something like, okay, now's the time that I'm going to develop that musical or write the book for that musical I've been meaning to do or, you know, um, and I actually realized that, you know, for over the course of the last couple of years, I'd been sort of secretly and sometimes not so secretly wishing that I just had a little bit of time off, (laughs) you know, just some time in nature and just some quiet time. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm, I feel so lucky and grateful to be busy in my life and career and, you know, live in New York and have, you know, friends and lots of stuff to do and, you know, all of that. But so I've tried to kind of just hold that feeling like I've got to be, got to be, got to be productive just slightly at bay right now and um, and give myself some time, you know, some um, I don't meditate per se, but, you know, I take long walks a couple a day now with, I have a puppy, um, you know, so he's all of a sudden got way more attention than he ever thought he would have gotten. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I know that feeling. Our, our puppy, you know, when we go back to work, is going to like not know what to do with herself. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's, it's fantastic. And I, I really feel like I've seen every leaf on every tree, you know, in my little loop up here and, um, you know, just pop and seeing the, you know, seeing nature change and, you know, all of that. So it's been very healthy in that way. Um, and I think for me too, you know, not to get too philosophical right off the bat here, but I think I may be going, moving into sort of a new chapter of what my life and career will be like. Um, you know, and I, obviously I love directing and I will continue to do that. And, and all of it. But, you know, there, there's, I think that there will be added elements to that and, you know, finding what's important now, just sort of on a more soulful level, um, uh, has been really, really a great gift. And, a, you know, yes, a silver lining. <laughs> um, 
Also, as a side note, you know, too, I have also been doing, we live very close to the, the Forestburg Playhouse. Yes. Up here, which is the sort of quintessential, you know, small summer stock theater in a barn. Mm-hmm. And I'm, we're very friendly with the owners. And, um, you know, as the decision, the hard decisions were, were being made about um, having to close or do part of the season or not do it at all and all of that, we were very much in those conversations. And, you know, I remember we took a walk around the playhouse um, and the grounds and everything in late March or early April. And I thought maybe this is another silver lining. You know, this is this place, you know, it gets locked up tight at the end of September every year and then, you know, opens up in May and all of that. And I thought it would be great to come in here and organize the dressing rooms and, you know, help paint the the staff um, housing. And um, we sort of redid a whole bunch of projects in the front of the playhouse. And then um, we were able to be a part of this concert series that um, we've developed. That's an outdoor, you know, socially distanced kind of thing. So um, just as my volunteer self, you know, and it kind of harkens back to, you know, being a 15 year old working as a tech apprentice in Summerstock, which I loved, you know, and so being outside and, painting things and, you know, fixing things. And it's just been, so there's been some satisfaction in, in that too, being productive, but in a non kind of intense high stakes way um, has been, has been good. Yeah. I think that, you know, and not to like relate everything back to the work or getting back to, you know, what we do, but, but I think that's true for everyone that, that if we're spending t- more time with our families right now, a-, a lot of people went back to where they grew up or just kind of slowing down, realizing what's important. I think that when we get back, when theater comes back, because it will and it will take time and there will be phases, but when it gets back, I think that like those human, more relaxed parts of ourselves are also just going to make the work better. You know, yeah. like whether you're a director or a designer or an actor, I think that our you know, if we can hone that, um, you know, what's important, that relaxation, we're just going to be better for it. And balance, you know, finding some balance. Um, I read this, I just, uh, just sent this quote to a friend of mine this morning that I, that was in a New York times article about hopelessness. And, you know, I think I, I remember, you know, in those first few months, like thinking, what am I going to do? You know, and, and it, it was, it was a little bit stressful and, you know, and then when they, you know, kept pushing back the opening of Broadway and you think, oh my gosh, is this ever going to, you know, but, but then all of this new stuff started to surface and you don't have to use this at all, but it's it just, there's a, um, this resonated with me. Um, part of this quote is I'm deep in the don't know phase about what's next in life, but I feel strangely calm more curious and interested than anxious. I find myself paying attention to synchronicities, to song fragments and random comments that move me and to my memories and my dreams. I'm listening for what is needed and wanted and what is mine to do. And I know that the joy and sense of purpose I feel now would not be possible without first experiencing hopelessness. Um, And I love that I'm looking for what it is that's needed and wanted and mine to do, um, which is more specific and personal, I think, than saying, taking the next show, like finding the next thing that's mm-hmm. going on. Who wants me next? Okay, I'll be there. It fits in my schedule. I'm there, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so 
who, you know, I'd love to try to manifest and think that way a little bit more. What is it that is needed and really wanted now and what will be needed and wanted in, you know, the beginning of next year or whatever, whenever it is that we all get to get back to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think just in general in the world, I think the arts through Netflix streaming services has been so helpful for the general public for the last few months. And I think the return to theater and to community and to like having that cathartic experience sitting next to a complete stranger is going to be something that people are, are craving. And just talking in a general sense, that is at, at some, at some point and at some part ours to, to do and help facilitate. Absolutely. And I think all of us, the creators and the receivers and all of it will be not, we'll be taking it less for granted, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that communion, you know? Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned your 15 year old tech apprentice self. Um, and I want to know a little bit more about that 15 year old Matt Lenz. Um, (laughs) I know a little bit about, uh, you know, your time at the Falmouth Playhouse in Cape Cod and, but I think it's always fun to know, why we got into this kind of briefly how we found the theater our our path to getting where we are i think if there's people wanting to direct or people wanting to maybe get into the line of work that you're doing it might be you know not every path will ever be the same but sometimes it's helpful to hear um how you got to you know this fantastic place in your career and and maybe a little bit of you know how that spark started so i wondered if you could yeah. talk about that a little bit yeah um i'll you know keep it you know, as succinct as possible. We, I start, I I think I fell in love with like performing when I got my first magic set, you know, at like seven or eight. Same. I found my way in through doing magic. (laughs) Yes. You know, I was officially magic Matt, you know, from like, you know, I don't know, eight years old to, you know, 15 years old, probably once I started doing theater, the magic kind of got, I was like, it's way more fun to do this with other people around than it is to just stand by yourself in front of a mirror with, you know, practicing card tricks or whatever, but, right. um, but I, uh, I did a summer theater camp. I grew up in Rockford, Illinois, um, and Rockford at that time. Um, and, uh, I think more so than it is now, just because of arts funding and all that had so much high school theater going on, community theater. We had a professional theater, um, summer theater camps and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And, and, um, And and I grew up with people like Joe Mantello and um, Marin Maisie and Bob Greenblatt and Paul Castry and Kevin Stites and Gary Griffin. And yeah, I mean, there was a whole group of people that were doing, you know, high school theater and we didn't all go to the same high school, but we would do summer theater together and all of that. And actually my very first scene partner in a, in a summer, I was uh, in seventh grade, I think um, uh, was a summer theater program. uh, And my first scene partner was Joe Mantello. We did a a little play where we got uh, locked in a library and some of the books came alive. And I was the kid that got locked in the library and Joe was um, Huck Finn. And um, (laughs) so uh, that's great. great. And then we did, you know, you're a good man, Charlie Brown and all of these things during the course of summers and all of that. So, so there was a lot of just talent and it was really encouraged and, and a lot of people were doing it. And I went to a very small high school. So my extended community of friends was were basically the theater kids from around the the city and um it was a medium-sized city and you know whatever but it, the the theater 
was very, very supported and lots and lots of us went into it, you know, that grew up around that, that time. Um, but I, and I don't actually remember how I got connected to the Falmouth Playhouse in Cape Cod, but um, I, I was 15 and, you know, somebody said, I think through one of the professional theaters in town said, you know, I, he was a general manager. That's what it was. And he said, come on out. And, you know, it's basically free, you know, we're working for free, but we'll house you and, you know, all of that. And we built, um, you know, 10 sets in 10 weeks. And it was the old uh, star package um, season. So every week, a new celebrity came in and was starring in a, in a play for that week. And, and we would rotate what our jobs were each week on the show. We'd all build the show and set it all up. And then, you know, this week I'd run sound for the gin game. And next week I was Van Johnson's personal assistant for the week. And then, you know, next week I was running a spotlight for Cheetah Rivera or whatever. Um, so I was just bit and I just loved it. And, you know, we ate tuna fish and peanut butter all summer long and I was never, you know, never happier. And then the next summer um, was the summer before my senior year. I, be- I was a performing intern at um, Gateway Playhouse. And then all through college, I did summer stock and I, I went to college for um, acting and, you know, um, and uh, all of that and graduated and um, pursued um, theater for a couple of years. I did commercials. I did Vampire Lesbians of Sodom off Broadway and in national tours. And um, so, but it was, it was actually during the long running shows, uh, um, Vampires in particular, when I started to, um, you know, feel that urge um, to kind of do something else. And I realized what I really loved was being in the process, was creating the shows, not performing it night after night after night after month after month, you mm-hmm. know. And um, I had directed in college um, and I had directed some showcases for friends, you know, so that we could invite agents to come around that time. And, and I began to wonder if this was something I wanted to pursue more full time um, directing. And I mean, to be totally honest, there were a couple of years there, um, and this was in my early or mid-20s, and I thought, oh, who do I think I am to say I want to direct? I'm, I'm just a guy, you know, I'm, I, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't study it or whatever, and I thought it seemed like such a steep hill to climb to sort of start over, even though I was, you know, only in my mid-20s, you know, mm-hmm. it seemed like... And there was also a lot of advice. People said, well, if you start doing that, then nobody's going to know if you're an actor anymore and people are going to get confused about what your, what your, uh, your, uh, you know, your direction is and what, what you really want to do. And so, but a friend of mine um, said to me, if you want to do it, Matt, you start saying you want to do it and start putting it out into the universe and it will start to happen. And sure enough, I started mentioning it and I was hired within a, a few weeks to do a production of hair up in New Hampshire to direct and choreograph. And I was like, okay, here we go. Cool. And um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, long story short, I, I looked at grad schools for a while and um, I knew that what I really wanted to do was work on Broadway musicals. Um, and, you know, the reality of, grad schools is just the, they don't have the kind of massive resources that you're involved with when you're actually directing a Broadway show, mm-hmm. even the biggest and great programs. Um, and so I started pursuing assisting 
um, I thought, well, this would be a great way to get in the room and, and to, um, you know, be around the process and learn by doing and learn by absorbing it. And, and, um, again, I, I got a tip that, um, uh, the director of beauty and the beast, Rob Roth was looking for an assistant. Um, and this was beauty, uh, had just started previews on Broadway and, uh, they were already planning all the future tours and international productions and all of that. And I wrote Rob a letter and he, this, we, I actually wrote a letter on paper and <laughs> left it. Thank you for clarifying. I didn't, I didn't send him an email, you know, it was an actual letter. And, uh, uh, and he, we, you know, really liked each other. And within a, a few weeks I was working for Disney and they're at the very, very early, early stages of that. Um, and then through that, I went on to work on AIDA through the development, um, uh, all of the workshops and I mean, it's wow. a whole, another sort of side book, um, which was amazing. Again, just learning the storytelling. I mean, we started from just an outline and no songs were written and to see that whole process of the show being literally created from nothing, from a, an idea, a children's book. Um, and, um, yeah. And then, um, so that was kind of the, the path. And by the time I left Disney eight years later, having done all the, these productions of beauty and the beast and Aida and all of it, I thought I have my grad school degree, you know, I was mm -hmm. like, Absolutely. I, <laughs> you know, um, and had worked with, you know, Natasha Katz and not to mention Elton John and Tim Rice and Linda Wolverton and, and you know, on and on. I mean, it was, uh, but great designers and watching them do what they do and being in those texts going, oh, now I get why this takes so long because <laughs> they're painting every detail up there, you know, so. And I, ima I mean, I imagine this to be true, but, but pretty soon into working on Beauty and the Beast and then Aida, you knew, oh yeah, this is, this is what I want to be doing. This is everything and more than I thought it was going to be. And this is what I want to continue doing. Absolutely. I was loving every day the work, you know, and I was maintaining the Broadway show as well as casting and working on tours and all of that. And I realized that, you know, being an associate is you're directing every day. I was getting to, because, you know, I wasn't just like any director, you're not actually in the room working with actors every single day, mm -hmm. but you're directing when you're having phone conversations with your designers and when you're choosing your designers or when you're casting or, or dealing with general managers or company managers. I mean, there's a, you know, directing is a big bubble of responsibility. It's not just the moment when you're finally in the room talking to actors or a playwright, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and um, so, so I realized, wow, eight years later, I'd been directing almost every day with working with some of the, you know, the, the top talents in the business um, in all areas. And um, so, yeah, I, and, and I, all of a sudden I was like, wow, I haven't been on stage in years. And it wasn't because I said, well, now I'm not going to be an actor anymore, but it was because this thing, there was a kind of tailwind, I guess, with that decision to do it. And I thought, well, trust that, you know, things are falling into place and, you're working and learning and loving it. And so don't fight it. <laughs> right. You know, and, um, and I didn't really miss acting because in some way, I mean, I think that many directors, depending on your style, you know, we act 
all the time. You know, you're, you're in there. You just don't have to do it in front of the whole audience, you know? Right. <laughs> yep. But you're, you know, so anyway, that, um, and then from that, well, I had been pursuing Jack O'Brien actually, um, since I was an actor. So that like the, my first reaching out to Jack O'Brien was even before I started, uh, directing, um, I had auditioned for him for a new play out at the old globe called bargains. And the audition process was so inspiring to me. I didn't get the job, but he gave me some great, um, adjustments and, I walked out of that room feeling like, oh, what a great audition. I, I don't know if I'm going to get the job or not, but I felt like somebody actually listened mm-hmm. and invested in what I was doing in the room there. And so I wrote Jack a letter, <laughs> not an email. This was, <laughs> And I sent it to the old globe and he returned my note. You know, he returned, sent a return and said, I remember you. And, you know, perhaps our, you know, whatever it was. And just, it was an encouraging, um, note from him. And I thought, what a classy person. Mm -hmm. And then I, as I was directing, I became more and more aware of Jack's work, um, as a director, um, three Shakespearean actors. And, um, he, the damn Yankees revival was happening around that time. And I was there on the, the final dress rehearsal of that. And Jack spoke and he was so eloquent and funny and the show was so good. And, you know, I thought this is, this is the kind of director that I think I want to be. And I, I loved the idea that he was working at the old globe and on Broadway and kind of had the best of both worlds, it seemed. Um, and um, so I reached out to him again <laughs> and he had, um, um, you know, he responded again and said, I have kind of for my old globe stuff, I have a lot of assistants here um, that are affiliated with the, the university, which I know, you know, well, mm-hmm. San Diego there. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, let's, you know, let's keep in touch. And then long story short through full Monty and friends involved with full Monty, I got to meet Jack socially. We spent a little bit of time together and he asked me to work on a couple of things. And because of my Disney time, I wasn't able to do it right away, but then um, hairspray came along. And he said, I'm doing this thing. I don't know, you know, um, crazy, you know, this this dance is yours if you want it or, you know, whatever. And we, you know, we had a ball and then I took care of that for the next eight or nine years, not full time, but very regularly. I think I did 14 productions of the show around the world and, you know, um, yeah. And took care of the, you know, the Broadway cast for its, you know, eight year run. And, and, um, so, and that affiliation with Jack now has, is about just exactly about 20 years we've been working together. So. Wow. That's really special. Yeah. Yeah. So that in a nutshell, that's sort of, uh, you know, um, and during the, you know, I, I really realized once I, you know, once I was sort of settled even into my beauty and the beast job a little bit, I was, I was asking for short leaves of time so that I could go do, a three week rehearsal process of something, or I could fit in between this and that, you know, they would let me go um, so that I could continue to direct my own work. Um, Also during that time, I spent a lot of time with writers, young writers um, working on shows, some which ended up getting, you know, workshops and some that never saw the light of day, Mm -hmm. but it it was, I was practicing my, um, 
my ability or my, you know, my dramaturg skills. And, mm. um, you know, when there were the, in a, in, in some low stakes situation where you're like, what if we put the song there instead? Or what if this character sings the song instead of that character or, you know, so it was, and I was seeing, you know, the likes of Elton John and Tim Rice and, you know, those people do it, uh, you know, by day and getting to do my own, um, you know, some of my own puzzle, puzzle making, which, you know, I just, is is perhaps my favorite part of what I get to do, which is, you know, really creating from the ground up. So. Yeah. I think it's really special that you get to be developing and working on all those different muscles and all those different things, because they're going to help you in so many different ways, either directly or down the road. You know, I've been also obsessed with Jack O'Brien. I just, because of the old globe and he's such a legend there and, you know, saying his name, you know, at the theater is like, everyone just loves him. And his book came out when I was um, a student there. And so like I devoured that and so good. he's just so good and so, so prolific because he does Shakespeare and he does hairspray and he does plays and he does new plays. I mean, he just does everything. What do you think it is about him that is that he's able to, to do that or that people have deemed permission for him to be able to work on all these things. And I guess, you know, what is the biggest thing you've taken away or, or felt like you've gotten from working with him that, that has helped you? Yeah. Well, it's there's so so many things because yeah. I, in Jack I t- found I truly found a mentor and somebody who you know I just could completely look up to and not only because of the work that he did but how he did it you know hmm. I liked being I've always liked being associated with him and s- sitting next to him and being a part of his you know, orbit because it's, I believe in it. You know, Mm -hmm. I believe that I love the way he works. I mean, he's, you know, first of all, he's just very bright um, and he's funny and he's joyful and he loves actors and he loves creators and, you know, um, and he's extremely collaborative. You know, Jack doesn't invite you into the room unless he wants you to be a part of the process. And, and, and I, that sounds obvious, like, oh, well, everybody does that. No, they don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they invite you into the room sometimes, many times, just so they can tell you what to do. You know, they may admire your talent, but not everybody is as open. You know, and I would say one of the main things Jack taught me really early on is don't feel like you have to know everything before you start. Mm-hmm. Allow the process to guide you and teach you along the way so that you can stay open to other people's ideas or your own uh, discoveries, you know, Um, that's a hard thing to learn as a young director, I find, because you do, and even as a, you know, an older, you know, more experienced person now, sometimes you feel like I got to know everything before I walk in the room because everybody's depending on me to make sure that this goes the right way. And you know, I think the more you do it, you can kind of, I mean, you do your preparation, you know what you want to see, you've got a vision that hopefully just comes to you and on some levels, to some degree, when you read the play, or when you say yes, you're Mm -hmm. doing it because there's some connection to it. 
but then, you know, put all the right pieces in place, hopefully hire the right people, cast the right cast, and allow it to evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, and those, and Jack has, has, you know, helped me to understand that, you know, he's confident enough to not have to have all the answers at the, you know, on day one, eventually we'll all figure it out, mm-hmm. you know, um, and something will happen. Yeah. You know? <laughs> something will definitely happen. It usually does. Yes. You know, but, uh, but he, he is, he is awesome. And so I would say that collaboration and also another big thing that I, I admire and I'm grateful for about Jack is that he completely understands and advocates for the idea of mentoring and that what we do is a craft that can really only be learned in complete by doing it. Mm -hmm. And by, and, and if you, have I, I I love being a part of Jack's continuum in some way that starts with, you know, when you read his book, you read about Ellis Rabb and Bill Ball and, you know, John Houseman and these amazing influences on his life. And he I has, almost did my thesis at the old globe on Ellis Rabb. Oh, because wow. I just was like thought this man was just so unbelievable. And you're so right. Like you're part of a lineage of that continues today. Yeah. And I think part of the reason that, you know, to answer your question too, that Jack is, does what he does or has the breadth of, um, you know, the, the, the canon, um, is that with Ellis and APA and those, those companies that he was working with as an, when he was an assistant, they were doing Shakespeare and Shaw and, you know, and, you know, silly musical stuff also, but, you know, he, he, and then working at the old globe, he was, not only directing Shakespeare and all of all of you know the classics, but um, but hiring other people to do it and was around it and you know mm-hmm. so he it's just part of his background. So, um, um, but yeah, he it, that he's actually writing another book, and I I think it's okay if I mention this, but and he's pretty much finished it now during quarantine. I mean, talk about somebody who's just like I'm going to sit down and do this, and I you know. But it's about directing. And, um, um, you know, one of the things that he says is it's hard to teach directing, but here I go. I'm going to write a book about it. And it's just about his experiences and how, you know, you have to allow your experience as a director to continue to inform who you are and how you direct as a director. Yeah. You can't just, again, know it all the day you graduate from grad school. Mm -hmm. No, now I'm a a great director because I read all that or I did Mm -hmm. all that. so I love his perspective on it because, again, as somebody who kind of came to this, you know, I didn't decide to do this when I was in high school. I came, you know, it was my late 20s by the time I got up the balls to kind of like say, I'm going to direct. Yeah. So, you know, I've given myself the time and luckily I've come in contact with people like Jack who have who have um, helped me along the way. Yeah, I think that's huge. You know, the, that mindset of like, oh, I've just graduated with my BFA and like now I'm you know, I think my mindset was a little bit like, oh, I'm the best that I'm going to be at this point. Or like, if, you know, if I can't get jobs right out of school, then it's never going to happen. And it's like, well, like I'm fully, now I'm fully formed while I've got it all in my head. Right, right. Something right. like, it's just like counterintuitive. It's like, oh, now that I have the degree, you know, now like I can go out and do it. And 
really the best thing that I got from grad school was it taught me how to learn. Like it taught me like how to then go into these new situations, whether it's an audition or a coaching coaching session or a full performance and actually know how to keep learning and keep yeah. developing those skills, which is what you're talking about, that, that, that education and those experiences, it never ends. And it's really on the job training, which is, the, you know, really the only way to learn, learn it. It's, it's true. And, and, you know, in life training too, you know, we're hopefully, you know, we all, you know, if you're lucky enough, we can find a way to get some balance in our life too. So you can travel and you can mm-hmm. see other people's work and, you know, it, it's not, you know, just the work that we do, but it's, you know, going to museums and reading books and, mm-hmm. you know, having experiences in other cultures and all of that. And, um, I think all of that informs, um, you know, who you are as an artist and, you know, I mean, it seems again, fairly obvious to say, but it, it's just, it, you know, having traveled a lot and having traveled a lot for work and worked in other cultures it's the great, to me, that's been the greatest gift of having the career that I've had are those times in other places working with artists in other countries who will then take you out and show you their country. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I come back and I feel like, wow, I, I have a whole different perspective on the world. And, um, you know, I'm out of, I get it, you get out of your bubble a little bit. And, and it's um, those, it's, again, you know, your, your life development is also, um, so crucial and a part of who we are and you know yeah that's something i think you know we hear maybe in college or you know you hear from people and it kind of can go through one ear and out the other but it's like i think the more we hear it and the more people like you say that i think the more it it lands especially for me and and hopefully for other people um i you said something that I, i i of course want to talk more about and that was you know, when you're assembling a great cast is, is a part of a piece of the puzzle. It's an important, large piece of the puzzle. As an actor, you kind of think, oh, that is the whole puzzle. But from a director's perspective, which I'm now learning, it's, it's you know, it's, it's a part of it. It's an important part yeah. of it, but it's part. But I want to talk about maybe your process and how you do that. C- curating a group of people to get in a room together to not only collaborate and make great art, but can also be great people and uh, work well with each other is, is hard. And there's no, there's no formula to it. You know, if there was, everyone would be winning like all the Tony awards and it would just be, um, which is, it's art, it's, it's subjective and it's, um, and we're kind of always getting better at it. So You know, the audition room is, is something that we talk about a lot about on the, on the podcast. And I just want to know, you know, just a very, this is a very general question, but like, if you don't know someone, cause a lot of, a lot of time we, I know that we do, people follow in tribes and people work with similar people or people that they've worked with before, but what, what in an, in an audition room makes someone pop or makes you lean forward or makes you think like, oh, I would want to see this person again. Um, yeah. I know that's like a super, you know, general way of just starting this conversation. <laughs> no, but you're, I mean, what, something you just said is it's subjective is, is a really, I think, um, important thing to remember for actors, you know, because I do think if you had four or five different directors sitting behind a table casting the same show, 
you know, chances are you would end up, you might end up with some of the same elements. You probably would, because sometimes people just come in and nail it so unquestionably that you're like, well, duh, you know, but, but you would end up with a different, you know, the five different people would choose, you know, five different things maybe, you know, as, as you put that together or at least elements would be, would be different. Um, you know, it's funny, like what makes an actor pop? I mean, it's a, it's a complicated question because of course, like one of the first things that you have to feel is confidence as a, I feel like as a, Mm -hmm. you know, sitting behind the table, I want to feel confidence in the person. And I don't, I want them to, I want to feel like they feel confident. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I want to, you know, I don't want to be nervous. I don't want to be stressed out for people. You know, that's, I want to, you know, go, okay, they own what they're doing and, they own who they are. And, um, so uh, that level of confidence. Um, and then it's, it's what, you know, what makes people pop is like, to me, well, confidence, preparation, just being clear, like, uh, and there's a, an, an energetic thing. I think there's something clear about that person. Like, I know what I'm, I know what I'm getting. There's not a whole lot of fuss going on, or there's not a lot of static around that approach you know i can see it you know it's sort of um so maybe that is what popping means as opposed to what makes people pop but um it's uh again i think that's where you get into the subjective part of it because it it's what makes you laugh you know i know we've laughed together before in our lives and obviously so similar things appeal to us in terms of humor that's not everybody's cup of tea, right? Or what, what, what do I, what do you find attractive? You know, um, it is really one of the most fun parts of the process. And, um, but, and some of it does come from, as you mentioned, the, the, we are all guilty of liking to work with people that we have had past positive experience with, um, sometimes. But one of the aspects of that is not just, you know, that somebody's talented and that they're going to be fun in the room or that you're going to, you know, you're going to enjoy the process with them, but it's, you have a sense of their, um, energy. And so you're not necessarily pairing them with the same person over and over again, but you know them well enough to know, oh, she's going to be really good with her. Or those two are going to, you know, they're so different that that's exactly the kind of, you know, opposite you need in those two roles. Or they're so similar that I can totally see them as sisters, you know, or whatever the, whatever the, um, the requirement may be. So that really is part of the fun of it. Um, and, um, and then there, you know, there's just the obvious that there, there are, there's the tool set that people need to have for a particular role. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I would include in the tool set as part of that, meaning, I mean, yes, can they, do they have the right vocal type? Do they, um, you know, have the acting chops? Can they dance? Do they tap dance or whatever the requirements are? Um, But then, you know, are they in the world of the play physically, visually, you know, um, all of that. Um, so, um, but it, it does end up kinding, kind of being like, you know, painting, a painting a picture. Mm-hmm. And if we all just painted a, a tree or a town, you know, we'd use different colors and focus on different things and emphasize different things, highlight different things. Um, so, 
it is very subjective. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But it does seem like, you know, and that's a important part of having these conversations that there are very similar themes that people talk about in the audition room. You know, confidence is something that I know if people have listened to all these episodes, they've heard many times because it's just so important. I mean, if you want to watch someone on a Broadway stage, you want to be watching them executing skills with the highest level of, of confidence. And it's just, that's what you pay all that money for is, is to see that happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was, I, I mentioned that I was listening to Jay Binder's podcast mm -hmm. uh, recently. And, you know, he says, you, you got to come in with an opening night performance, mm -hmm. you know, now that performance will probably change as you go through the process and all of that. But that's sort of the level of commitment that, you know, you need to be able to deliver. And I guess that confidence, just like we were talking earlier about, you know, as a director, you gain confidence by doing as an actor, you gain confidence by, by doing it. And, and also by keeping the stakes in check, I think for yourself and not saying this is the end all and be all, mm -hmm. you know, it's really hard. I know I remember being an actor and I, and this still happens as a director where you're interviewing for a job or whatever, where you, you know, you can't help but get ahead of yourself and say, Oh my God, if I got that, I'd be able to, you know, whatever I could do this and I'll, you know, buy a house in the country and get a new car. And then that's going to take me through the end of 2022. And, mm -hmm. you know, and all of a sudden you get way, way ahead of yourself out of enthusiasm and excitement. But, you know, still it's like that you're putting your own stakes. You're just piling it on yourself to say, Oh God, if I don't get this, I won't get the new house or the car or the, you know, I won't be able to pay my student, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's, um, um, yeah. So keeping all of that in check and just saying, you know what, I'm doing a job. I'm doing the best that I possibly can today. I'm preparing to the degree that I'm able and I'm going to show up and do my thing and we'll see, we'll see where it lands. Yeah. I mean, it's that age old thing of like, you book all the jobs you don't want, yes. right? Like if you don't care about directing a show, you'll probably go into that interview and get it because like you just leave those stakes low for yourself. And the same is true for acting. Sometimes those jobs that I was like, oh, I'm so confident I'm going to get this. You don't get. And then yeah. it's like, ah, the things you're like, well, really? Yeah. Am I really going to go do that? It's yeah. like, and it well, I guess I am more. now. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Right. What do you think is something that like, you know, specifically about the, maybe the craft or about what happens in the audition room or may, or even maybe I guess some of the conversations that happen after an actor leaves that you kind of wish actors could understand more of like I wish that actors could understand blank about the process yeah I, I guess that they're a part of a puzzle mm -hmm. and depending on how many pieces of the puzzle are already in place Sometimes it's just a matter of having to be very specific to fit that final, uh, you know, or build on that, the pieces that are already there. In my experience, I, too, there are, it's not just one person making all the decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and I find as a collaborator, particularly on musicals and bigger commercial things too, you have not only musical director, choreographer, writers, um, but producers, um, that are having input and everybody, because it's subjective, everybody, you may have 
four people that really fell in love with your audition. And there's one person who's just really not going to go there. Um, you know, and you have to, as a collaborator and as a director, it's part of your job to sort of bring it all around to not consensus every time, but to decisions that everybody can be happy with and everybody can, can, um, work with. So there is, um, there is a bit of give and take that goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that moment that you had with the director where he was like, where you had them in tears or peeing with laughter or whatever it is, you know, was very well genuine, but there was some, for some other reason in the room there that it didn't quite all line up for you. Um, um, so, you know, again, I mean, I know that this advice or this, this point of view gets delivered often, but it's, you can only take care of what you can do. Um, and there are just lots of factors you know, and height and hair color, age, you know, things that you can't control or necessarily control, um, you know, factor in and say, well, we've already hired the star who's 30 years too old for the role. So we can't really hire the guy that's age appropriate because it won't quite match up, you know, (laughs) whatever. Right. You know, (laughs) and, you know, I think the thing that I've come to peace with in the business is that, a good audition is a good audition. And like, yeah. you know, if you're, you know, say someone comes in and auditions and you love them, but the producer just doesn't want to hire them for whatever reason, you're probably going to use them at some point. You know, you're always directing other projects and now you, you know, that person is a win in your book now. So, you know, they didn't book the job, but there could be another job down the road that could even be a better job that they're going to, that they're going to have. It seems like, like every business, but our business is so about the networking and the re- creating relationships and just getting to know, you know, know people and developing fans of your work. I think for, for everyone. And that just so much becomes clear that it's such a long game. Yep. Absolutely right. I mean, I'm constantly taking notes in the margin, you know, not quite for this thing, but mm-hmm. so good for, that's exactly what I'm looking for, for this other thing that I'm working on, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I love when that happens too, you know, I mean, it's, it's fun. It's fun to particularly, especially with people, you know, you kind of fall in love a little bit or get a little crushes, you know, and people that come in that are just, are so good, you know, and, and, you know, just because you're around talented people all the time, doesn't mean that you, you don't continually respect it and admire it and, you know, like I said, get little crushes on it. So it's like, oh, yay, I get to use her in something or, you know, um, he's going to he's going to be great in this other this other way. And um, so it's 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 you know, it is a small I mean, as much as we have so many new people coming in, you know, out of uh, universities and all of that, the 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 Broadway musical community and touring community and stuff is pretty small, you know, Mm -hmm. you can get to know people. And even if you've never worked with them, you've seen their work on stage or, you know, again, auditioned them and all of it. So. Right. uh, But I love that. Yeah. Uh, The last thing that, that I've, you know, the, the past few conversations I've had that I've just loved ending with is, 
you know, what is something, and it doesn't have to be related to actors or anything, but it, it could be about directing, maybe like a personal thing that, that you feel like you wish you knew about the business when you were, you know, in your mid twenties or just getting out of Wagner that you, that you wish you could tell yourself now looking back on it, having had the perspective of being on the other side of being a director. Um, you know, it can be about the directing career or the acting career, but I guess just, you know, something that you really thought it would have been beneficial that, that, you know, 20, 25 year old Matt didn't know yet. Yeah. I mean, I would have to say to not compare yourself to others. Mm. Um, Others careers, you know, Um, it's because what you just said, we're all, so specifically on our own path mm-hmm. that is influenced by so many different things, you know, and how we, you know, how we got to the starting line in the first place, or, you know, what is our starting line and what do we, you know, I think it was, I was just hearing a quote that I think this relates about John Lewis, you know, um, who just passed, uh, um, about, you know, you judge a man by how far they've climbed, you know, not just where they are, because some people have a huge leg up and other people don't. And, but, but I think, you know, when you, people's careers are so, uh, careers in the theater are so specific to themselves and when and how you decide to do this and those opportunities that just happen for some people, um, you know, the people that you're, you go to college with, you know, you may all of a sudden find yourself collaborating with Lin-Manuel, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, because you were best friends in college and, you know, and, or you may have to really scrape and scrap for every success you get, but it adds up to, you know, this rich later in life, second chapter in some way. But I definitely remember, you know, being in my as an actor and then transitioning, you know, that always, you know, thinking too much about myself in context of other people, my age, or that were doing what I was doing. And, you know, I just got to a certain point where I thought, am I happy doing what I'm doing? Am I happy with my life as a whole, the balance of my personal life and, and the, the work that I get to do? And, you know, am I making enough money for me to exist and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And that's just so personal to me. It's like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't require tons of Tony awards sitting on your shelf to be satisfied or to think of yourself as a success, you know, or just because somebody making bigger royalties than you are, doesn't mean that you're not as good. You know, I think one of the, I've, I've been blessed to work with lots and lots of really talented and successful top of the industry people or be around them sometimes as a fly on the wall, sometimes directly, you know, directing them in in my own work. And, and I recognize that there's incredible talent, but genius is mostly hard work and commitment. You know, somebody like Jack O'Brien, who, you know, is, you know, the top of the, I mean, one of our greatest American directors, Jack works really hard at doing what he does. 
and he works hard at bringing himself to it and all of that. But, you know, genius is something that's in all of us. Our divine spark is in all of us. And it's not just reserved to Bob Fosse and Agnes DeMille and Rodgers and Hammerstein. I mean, they found their moment and they worked hard and they delivered great things. Um, but you know what I mean? We're all, we're all not that far from each other. And, you know, it's opportunity, preparedness, showing up, allowing, um, trusting, collaborating, all of those things. And, you know, we all have a divine spark, I think. I love that. I love that. That's, um, so inspiring and so helpful. And, and as you said, it's also just so much about timing and being in the right place. And, but if you are working hard and you have your nose to the ground and you really want to do this, it's, it's definitely obtainable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can work to get yourself into the right place. You know, I mean, there's, there's work that you can active stuff that you can do to, to get yourself closer to that. But then, you know, you got to be there when that opportunity arises, you know, and sometimes you're not, you know, you look back in your life and you're like, Oh, if I had only said yes to that instead of that, but you know what, then who knows what else, what wouldn't have happened had you, you know, that one thing gone right, you know, or it could have turned out to be a miserable disaster. (laughs) You know, who knows? Yep. But, uh, But, you know, we're lucky to get to do what we do. That's for sure. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yes. Um, Matt, I'm so, so grateful to talk to you today. And I, I mean, you know, I, I always just love talking and and catching up with you and I feel like we could, you know, keep talking for, for another few hours, but for the sake of the podcast um, (laughs) and, and listeners, um, I'm going to say thank you so much for your time and for your thoughts and just so inspiring and just so helpful and, and I, you know, I loved everything we talked about from the, you know, beginning of the quarantine, you know, and, and how we can be thinking about this and just really helpful. So yeah. well, thank good. you so and much. Again, thank you for asking me. You're, you know, this isn't, this is an awesome resource for people and, uh, and really fun. And hopefully we can have more conversation in person soon. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait. Thank you so much, Matt. I really appreciate it. Of we'll course. talk soon. Yep. Bye. Bye. For more information on the podcast and our guests, visit thebreakdownpodcast.com and connect with us. Let us know you're listening on Facebook and Instagram at The Breakdown with Robbie. And again, if you like what you heard, help spread the word and make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for another episode of The Breakdown.